Hey, it's Mike. Once again, our presenting sponsor is Sam Adams. They have summer ale. Have you heard about this? Summer ale tastes like the season of summer. Um, also, Sam Adams is doing this great thing right now. They've teamed up with the nonprofit Greg Hill Foundation to support restaurant workers. It's this thing called the Restaurant Strong Fund. They're doing great work, but they need your help. You can support the Restaurant Strong Fund at samueladams.com. And now the show. Welcome back to another episode of Working It Out. Our guest this week is a comic who I love. One of my favorites to watch, Ronnie Chang, comedian, correspondent for The Daily Show. We did a stand-up and vote show together at a college in 2018. He's one of the stars of the film Crazy Rich Asians. He's a riot in that. He has an amazing special right now on Netflix called Asian Comedian Destroys America. This is Ronnie Chang. When you started doing comedy, did you start in Australia? Yeah, I started in Australia. I'm actually in Australia right now. Um, okay. I started uh, in uh, March 2009. You're telling me you've only been doing comedy 10 years? Devastating to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I feel like my character from Don't Think Twice, Miles, <laughs> who's bitter about everyone else. <laughs> like that, you're way too good for having done comedy for 10 uh, years. I'm, I'm still figuring it out. I I, I got I got lucky. I, people gave me a lot of opportunities, and um, I think a lot of people got behind what I was saying. And you know, I'm still I'm still figuring out how to do this. It's an eternal puzzle. You're still figuring out your <laughs> humble speech is what you're trying to figure out. Because I'm not. I'm not buying it for a damn second, Ronnie. <laughs> You're a natural. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, no, it's great. It was great com- moving to New York. I always wanted to. And then being kind of surrounded by these pros who, you know, they do so many gigs every single day and they're so good at it. It kind of forced you to lift your game, I think. You know, no matter. I think that's true. Yeah, no matter who you are, that environment in New York City, you know, before the pandemic. Man, it was living the dream. It was living the dream. We could go yes. from gig to gig. And everyone yep. seemed happy to be there. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I remember really being so present when I was on stage in New York for um, essentially the first few times I was on stage. When I first moved there, I was so excited to be there. It was it was like, oh man, this is this is what it's all about. You know, it's just like being able <sighs> to perform here. And then in, I also remember thinking in my head like, this is too good to last, right? And then, (laughs) you know, I feel like, (laughs) yeah, I feel like (laughs) there's no way this is going to last. Like, this is way too good a thing. So did you have this thing that I had? So I had this pressure as a comedian to succeed fast uh, because my dad was a doctor and I felt like I had to succeed at that level fast. And uh, did you have that with your family at all? Yeah, I definitely, I think I had that pressure to kind of legitimize it right and and make sure it's like um show that it's a <laughs> a viable uh <laughs> sure. living um yeah it, very quickly so the decisions i made you know who you hang out with how you conduct oh. yourself all those everything i did i mean i think naturally i'm a pretty square kind of guy anyway but all you know everything i did was kind of like how would a professional do this you know so uh, the the other thing is like I went to law school, so I come I kind of was at a very 
corporate period of my life when I was starting comedy. Mm-hmm. And sure. I gotta say, like, that also kind of affected it in terms of, like, you know, being a professional, interacting with other people and approaching yeah. your craft, you know? Um, I had the same thing. I went to Georgetown, so I was surrounded by people in law, foreign right. service, medicine, all these things that were very professional. And and so, yeah, you have to sort of invent your own professional track because in, in stand-up comedy, there sort of isn't one. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I'm exposing myself as a huge square, but I think that helps a lot in comedy because um, yeah. it gives you kind of a little bit of structure and guideline to your career so yes. that you at least can work towards something or at least you have some, you know, basic procedures like, you know, how to respond in emails or even how to act, sure. you know, like uh, around other people. Because one, the, the thing about comedy is like, you can't do it alone, you know? Like we literally right. do it alone, but at some point you're going to need someone's help to, to either yeah. get a gig or like… Um, uh, someone's on a TV show, they hire you as a writer, you know, like, sure. and, and so being able to like, be professional is part of it, you know, I, this is what I feel like, conduct yourself in a professional manner, be dependable. And that's not to take anything away from what you do on stage as well. You know, like, obviously, you got to deliver on stage, but I just think that the, you know, that that offstage, how you conduct yourself offstage is just as important. It's huge. Yeah. It's funny because the other thing you say in your special is um, is that America translates in Chinese to beautiful country. Yeah, yeah. And like <laughs> there's a lot of discussion of <laughs> how America is seen by the world <laughs> in its current response yeah. to Corona. But it's like, do you feel like the, the pendulum is, is shifting there? Well, actually, I was going to do a bit, uh, you know, in the like work a new bit with you about this, but... Um, I definitely Oh, feel- we can get to it. We can get to it, yeah. Sure, yeah. But no, uh, short answer is, yeah, the pendulum is shifting a little bit. <laughs> quite a lot. <laughs> the pendulum has shifted quite a lot since before, I would say. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Yeah, and not in a good direction either. So if I'm getting this right, you lived in Malaysia, Australia, New York, and New Hampshire. Is that correct? Uh, I lived in um, Malaysia, Singapore... New Ham- New Hampshire and uh yeah Australia yeah yeah <laughs> so my question oh is, and New York yeah I mean recently to New York in yeah. New York yeah. of course yeah yeah, yeah. where yeah. I met where we met yeah what do all of those places have in common what do they have in common yeah because because who else has lived in all those places uh, this is like a this is a huge experiment in, yeah. in, the, in the human being no do you know what it is it's just there's the same the same dumbasses in every country. <laughs> this, the same idiots show up in every country. The same conspiracy <laughs> theory, you know, like um, have they think they have all the answers and they lack a lot of ton of perspective and they've got you know prejudices and this, those same idiots are the same in every country, but it's just a different team, you know. So it's either be like Team Malaysia, yeah. Team Singapore, Team Australia, Team America, like. Uh, you know, so those 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 idiots are uh, the same type of idiot exists in every country, and they never, unfortunately, they never meet. The only people those, people, <laughs> the, you know, they, I mean, they should just meet and destroy themselves. But the problem is that they 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 will only meet the like good people from other countries and act like dicks right. to them. And that's just universal, <laughs> unfortunately. Well, their conspiracies are probably about each other, right? Yeah. So, but, like, yeah. like the, the stupid kung flu thing yeah, yeah. that Trump says yeah. is, like, 
there's probably the equivalent in Malaysia yeah, about yeah. America. Yeah, I mean, right? you know, not uh, probably not in Malaysia, but yeah, in Asia, they'll think the same thing about America. Yeah, yeah. Um, Unbelievable. Yeah, so, I, I, but I mean, if I can give you also a, f- a, a, a flip side to that is also the good people also exist in all the different countries, you know. So, yeah. I, I always feel like too often we compare like the worst of one country to like the best of the other country, you know what I mean? Like Sure. Yeah, of course. And, yeah. And we we don't go like we don't compare the dumbasses with each other cuz that's the more accurate comparison. Yes. Like these people are yeah. dumb and then those people are also dumb and they, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but too often we're like look at these dumbasses. We're the good people. These people are dumb. And you're yes. like, "Well, you're comparing yes. their dumbasses to our good people." So obviously they look dumb. <laughs> they look every if you do that everyone who's not you looks like a fucking moron, right? But if you So I guess what I my follow up to that would just be proportionally is it same amount of dumbasses in all of those locations? <laughs> that's a great question. That's a great question. That that's too big a call for me to make. I I, I think <laughs> I think I can alienate you to the entire American. Oh audience? no, no. I'm not scared of alienating. I just don't want to be inaccurate. <laughs> I'll accurately <laughs> but but you know what? I'll go by the you know the normal distribution curve. I I if everything in nature follows that. I'm going to say like, yeah, I think the proportion will be the same. The proportion of dumbasses are the same. So this is a thing called the slow round, which is um, just sort of prompts. This one's called on a loop, which is do you have a memory from childhood where it's a memory of, of a thing that happened, but it's not even like a story? I've got a million of those because I grew up in America and because I left America for 20 years afterwards... And I've always been trying to come back to America since then. And so that period of my life when I was like three years old to seven years old, it really felt like a dream. You know, it felt like… Oh, interesting. Yeah, it felt like this thing because I could never go back to it. Wait a minute. So I just want to chart the progression. Yeah. Were you born in… Born in Malaysia. Born in Malaysia. Born in Malaysia. And then your family moved to New Hampshire. Yeah, yeah. And then your family moved to Australia? Uh, No, we were like good immigrants like we we got our education and then we went back to singapore like we didn't take jobs we oh. left yeah <laughs> we left back to singapore yeah so we moved to singapore and then i went to australia for college when i was 18 so um wow yeah so you have all these memories from being like in new hampshire yeah. like three through seven but it sort of felt like a dream because you didn't live there anymore yeah you didn't live there and it was such a foreign world to what you know it's even foreign by to American standards, I think, you know, Manchester, New Hampshire, you know, it's nothing like New York. So there's no way to kind of recreate that feel. So it's like, you know, all these fragments of memories. And and I got to go back to New Hampshire when I moved here to do a college gig. Um, And I was so psyched and I actually went there and I was like taking photos and videos of all the, you know, (laughs) all the places. And I sent it back to my my mom and dad to show them. And they were like, oh yeah, that's the park. That's the that's the library. Oh my you know? gosh. Yeah, it was really interesting. And uh, you know, when I was three years old to seven years old, literally the world to me was like five places. It was school, yeah. home, the yeah. park, library, one restaurant, and like the lake. And so I remember I was, I was in like pre-kindergarten in New Hampshire. It was a preschool that was also a church. And then yeah. we were we were in the playground and this dog walks past and I remember like looking at the dog and asking the teacher like what is that on the dog? And then the teacher kind of leaned in and whispered, 
that's his balls. Oh my god! And then I was like, I didn't know what that meant. I, 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 at the time, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know why she was whispering and oh. and and um, only like you know, fifteen years later, it, that memory comes back up in my head, and I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> She's talking about balls on the dog, and she didn't want to like yell it out, and you know, I don't think. Oh my it, god, that makes so much sense. Yeah, it make everything about that made sense, but at the time, nothing made sense. Why does this dog have this thing on it? And, <laughs> yeah, I, I have I have distinct memories of of seeing balls on a dog and yeah. and thinking to myself, especially certain types of dogs that have less fur. Yeah, where you go like, so what's that all about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's going on there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you did you ever feel left out of a group growing up that you like desperately wanted to be in that you look back on? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel like I've been left out of every group. <laughs> uh, oh up until uh, honestly up until comedy comedy was no the one where it was the first one where it's like yeah this all this makes sense like you can hang out with comics and you talk about stuff and everyone gets it you know everyone yeah. gets where you're saying gets where you're coming from um, sometimes can give I feel advice simi- I feel almost exactly the same like co- my college improv troupe was the first time where I was like oh my god this exists yeah <laughs> Like this thing where everybody's on the same page and like we all like have the same similar sense of humor. I, yeah, I, f- I feel really, I relate to that a lot. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, if you want to talk about the ones I didn't fit in, I mean, really it's been trying, I've been trying on clothing for right up till the end of college, you know, as as it should be. So I've been trying on yeah. different different friends, types of friends, different potential professions. Yeah. Uh, so... Um, desperately wanted to, uh, I yeah. This is nothing interesting, I guess. In high school in Singapore, no, no, des- that is interesting. Yeah, in, in Singapore, desperately wanted to be one of the cool kids. You know, dressed like yeah, the cool sure. kids. At that time, it was like yeah. baggy clothes was in, so you would like buy your uniform yeah. a couple size bigger just so you look looked baggy. Oh my and, gosh! Yeah. And um, for us, it was these things called skids, like these big sort of. Like MC Hammer type of pants, kind of thing. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> that was in the nineties. Yeah. That was a thing. Yeah. And then we would go to the store that had like the less expensive skids that were the generic brand skids. <laughs> yeah. But then yeah. people would call you out on it. They'd be like, "That's generic. That's generic brand skids." <laughs> and then it made it worse. It made it worse yeah, than yeah, not it made having skids. Yeah. Worse than not even trying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. And then it. it no, it, there's it, nothing worse than nothing. Nothing worse as a, as a child. Than the idea of trying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, trying is like it's it's a big uh, no no. <laughs> what is the what's the most trouble you ever got in as a kid with your parents, or what's the thing that you got away with doing that your parents never found out about? Oh damn, um, I got away with. Uh, if you know me, a very square kid, you know, never did anything like beyond the pale at all, you know, very within the rules. Um, and the the thing I got away with, which they don't know about, is um, when when the Matrix Reloaded <laughs> <laughs> came out. This is already it's already awesome. A, path- a pathetic, <laughs> yeah, yeah. a pathetic example of yeah. doing something wrong. Yeah, yeah. Um, the when the Matrix re- Reloaded, applause break. Yeah, came out applause break. And um, 
uh, it came out and I was so hyped up on The Matrix. And, you know, it like when The Reloaded came out, the trailer came out, we were losing our minds. In you know, it was already, yes. the trailer was already making yes. us crazy. And then it, the, the premiere for Matrix Reloaded was like midnight. They made it like a midnight. This is the first time you can see it in Singapore. It's like, you know, and I've never seen a movie past 9 p.m., outside my house before. Yeah. And so midnight, I, I snuck out of the house and oh my gosh, no. Before cell phones, before anything. So, you know, if if they found out they would be just the police would be at the home when you get back because they wouldn't know where you are. So um snuck out of my house, went to Orchard Road in Singapore, which is like going to the city. <laughs> and then that's hilarious. Uh, and then like bought myself a ticket. I actually bought my ticket that afternoon at like an ATM. Like one of the first times you yeah. could buy a ticket at like a non, you know, outside of the cinema, you could buy at like an ATM. I buy an ATM. I had the ticket. I went to go watch Reloaded until like two thirty a.m. And I'm like, man, if I get in trouble for this, it was so it's worth it. And I went home wow. and I, nothing happened. I just went to sleep. And I woke up and it was completely fine. Completely got away with it. <laughs> That's so funny. One time I was, uh, I was in a phase in high school where I was sneaking out in the summertime to hang out with friends. And there was one room in the house where I'd sneak out the window. And uh, and my mom seemed to get wise to it. And so one night she goes, I think I'm just going to stay in here and watch TV with you. So she stays in there for like a couple hours, right? And at one point she opens up a, a backpack that I had packed. That was like next to the couch. She's like, what's in this? And she's like, pulls out a cowboy hat that I was literally going to wear. It was like, she's like, a cowboy hat? What were you going to wear? A cow-? And I was like, I, I, that was just for tomorrow. I was just like getting stuff to get, you know, like I had no excuse. And then eventually she falls asleep and she goes, oh, I'm going to go into my room and go to sleep. She leaves. And then I left. I stuck out the window still. <laughs> Even after all that, she was completely onto me. I still stuck out. Which, and I think the moral of that story is, high school kids will do anything. <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> that and what? Did, but did she find out? She no, she never found out. Oh well, you got away with it, man. She, I mean, but she sort of knew. She sort of knew with the cowboy hat. I went through like a cowboy hat phase in high school, which I'm so embarrassed about. But what, like, as but, in, uh, as in, like, uh, the way hipsters in Brooklyn wear cowboy hats yes, now? Okay, just like that. Okay, just like that. that yeah, that's yeah, fine. Yeah. Not like a reenacting the West. No, yeah. no, no, no. There's nothing to it that was right. I was, yeah, I was. I wasn't doing a, a play. Well, maybe or your mom that saw the hat and she was like, you know what, this kid isn't. There's no way he's getting into any trouble with this hat. Like, there's no way he's, no one's going to let him into a club or anything with that. So it'll be fine. We would just do, we would literally do nothing. We would walk around the town and we would, and we would smoke cigars. We wouldn't even smoke <laughs> pot. We just smoke like cigars. Is Man, it? sneaking, like being out at night as a high schooler was like intoxicating. It was like nighttime. It was, into it was intoxicating. You're, yeah. You're like out there, like, what? I'm out. Like, <laughs> yes. it's nighttime. Like, what? Yeah, that that was enough. Yeah, it was enough. It was it was crazy. Before you found, before you before you find drugs and alcohol, yeah. the nighttime <laughs> is enough. <laughs> I'm trying to work on this bit about how uh, when I was a kid, America was a no brainer. 
to go to. No matter <laughs> yes. how, like, whatever, where you sat on the social, like, economic uh, ladder in other countries, it, you know, you could be rich, you could be poor. It was like, yeah, go to America. Like, no-brainer. Yeah. Like, yeah, of course go. Like, yeah. it's, 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 oh, that's interesting. it's awesome. Yeah. Like, you, you, there'll be opportunities there. You can, it'll be a better life. You can kind of, there's more freedom. There's more TV, you know. Um, and then now, like, it's… There's more movies at midnight. <laughs> yeah, more movies at midnight. Um, um, and then now it's like, I talk to my mom. And by the way, so I'm the only one of my family who moved to America. Like, I'm alone oh. there. You know, it's me and my wife. So I've got no other yeah, family yeah. there. And um, now I talk to my family members, like my mom, and it's like so hard to justify why I'm going back there. They literally oh are like, gosh. don't don't go back. Oh like, my gosh. Like, why? You know, like I have to say, oh, you know, mom, I'll probably be back there for work soon. And she's like, why? Don't. Don't go. Have you seen the news? <laughs> Have oh you seen gosh, what's going on? Oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, and they're like, don't go. They're like, don't go. It's crazy there right now. It's, you know, between the, the pandemic and the riots and the president and it just looks like the whole thing's on fire. They literally look at me like, why, yeah. why are you trying to go there? Like, it, it, yeah. it's like a crazy uh, proposition, you know? So <laughs> That is wild. Yeah, I'm trying to write a bit. It might just be part of the hour in terms of a lesson learned, you know. Uh, I, I guess that I guess that like where you could go with that bit is like what do you like how do you respond? Because I can tell dick jokes for a lot of money there. <laughs> which <laughs> which makes the problem even worse because they're like what <laughs> Right. That's not that good of a reason. That's not that great a reason. <laughs> well I can tell dick jokes on TV there and hide it behind satire. So it it makes me sound more sophisticated and uh, people pay me money for it. <laughs> and they're like what Wait, I have a I have a question. Do you speak Mandarin? Uh, I do. I speak Mandarin, but to my mom, I I've always spoken English to my mom. Oh, okay. I speak. I actually. And so, yeah. can you perform stand up in Mandarin? And is that like a big market? Um, I've done it, but I'm not great at stand up in Mandarin. I assume it's a great market, as everyone in the freaking. <laughs> everyone, in the movie industry and yeah. the entertainment industry things everyone in, in, in the video game market everyone who doesn't do stand up has told me that stand up in chinese <laughs> is a great <laughs> is a big market um but yeah, uh, yeah, sure, uh, sure. my dad used to tell me that as well but um i think there's a decent bit there which, which is like the endless amount of people who tell you, like, you know where you'd make some money is is is, is China. You know, yeah. China, a lot of people. Yeah. You're like, right. No, no, no. I'm I'm aware <laughs> I'm aware of how many people are in China. Yeah. And it goes back to, you know, like we do this. I like to think we do this because of self-expression. And obviously, maybe at the start it was you know, we, we need money and you know and and profile helps us make money from this profession. So we kind of, you know, we we kind of go after profiles sometimes. We try to build our profiles. But ultimately, we're kind of in this for self-expression, right? And yeah, this, sure. this, this idea of like, oh yeah, just go there and do it there. Like, no, no. My whole thing was to come here and do it here. Like, it's not... Yes. If I was yeah. trying to make a bunch of money, I'd go do something else. Because this makes no financial yeah. sense at all. If you did stand up in Mandarin, like, would there be restrictions on what 
you could set. Yeah, yeah. And I've done it. I've done it in stand-up. And Des Bishop has done it way more than me. Actually, if, if anyone's listened to this, go Des Bishop, uh, Irish comedian who… Um, he's very funny. We work with him at the cellar yeah. all, all the time. Yeah, and he's a very famous Irish comedian. You know, in, in Ireland, he's everybody knows him. And um, he did this thing where he moved to China and learned Chinese from scratch for two years. And he, with the goal of doing a stand-up show in Chinese. And it's a documentary. Wow. You can go watch it. You know, Des Bishop, I think it's made in China, I think. Or, um, wow. And um, he does it very successfully. And his stand-up in Chinese is really funny. And like what you just wow. said, he can't do anything political. He can't do anything dirty, right. really. So he has to do these very oh, clean kind of bits, but still… You know, because he's such an experienced comic, he makes them very sophisticated bits. And it, it's it's amazing to watch. I've done Chinese shows with him in New York. We actually did one at the cellar just for kicks. Wow. We did like a a show in Chinese. And we forgot to say that it was in China. It didn't get advertised. So people showed up and there was like half the crowd were Chinese people expecting it to be in Chinese and half the crowd were just people. And so oh my we, me and Des Bishop were doing this on stage and we were like… We also had other New York comics from China, actually. There's a surprising number of like white comedians who move from China to America and can do it in Chinese. It's actually that's why really? we yeah that's why we did the show. But shout out to all the white guys who <laughs> honestly, man, they, come on, yeah, <laughs> we need come on, come on, give it up. There's got to be a moment for white guys who, who speak Mandarin. Give it up for the white guys. It's who, about time, man. About like, time. We had enough to do a, a show. Like everyone came on, and did ten minutes in Chinese. You know, me and Des hosted it. Um, uh, and you know, for me, I I think in English. So when I do it in Chinese, yeah. I'm like translating on the fly, and you know, jokes no don't kidding. work. Yeah, it, it doesn't work. I'm not great at it. You know, um, I I spoke to Eddie Izzard once, and he he does it. You know, he, Eddie Izzard's like a crazy man. He does it in like Italian, I know, Spanish. It's unbelievable. Yeah, he, you know, so I, he does French. French. Yep, it's unbelievable. He'll learn German yeah. and then do it in German like the next week. You know, like it's so he'll run no, and beyond that, he'll run like sixty marathons yeah, in a row. For some I mean, reason, he'll Eddie run. Eddie is be is a superhuman. Yeah, he's a superhuman. So I talking to him about it and like he's you know i'm like ah oh, man i don't even know if i can do it. it i can barely do this in english much less do it in chinese yeah and then he's like yeah oh you know just trust that you're funny what's funny is funny universal and you can figure it out yeah you know? yeah but uh man the language differences is is uh yeah it's it's pretty crazy um but but yeah so i i've done i've done it in chinese and it, it's tough it's definitely tough and um uh i kind of when you know, my Chinese among non-Chinese speakers is freaking awesome. My Chinese among Chinese <laughs> sure. speakers, people are like, shut the fuck up. Like you, yeah. So. Uh, I think that's a good bit too, by the way. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's really funny. Yeah, I did that in China. I said that in Chinese. My, my, chi my Chinese five minutes has a bit about how like every time in China, when I was in China, which by the way, I've, you know, I've been to China once. I'm like third generation Chinese yeah. Malaysian. So I, you know, I got very little to do with actual China. So I went there for the first time. Yeah. And people in China were like, oh man, you speak Chinese really well. Like your Chinese is really good. And I was like, well, if my Chinese was really good, you wouldn't even say that my Chinese is good. So by saying that my <laughs> Chinese funny. is good, you actually mean that my Chinese is really bad. Well, I've been working on this thing about, so last year, my wife and I, finally bought a place in New York after, you know, I'm, I just turned 42. And it's like, I'm 42 years old. If we finally buy something, which is, it's just too late in life to buy. 
it assumes that we're going to live as long <laughs> as the mortgage and it might not happen. And and then I start looking at the origin of the word mortgage and it literally means death pledge, which really makes which really makes buying an apartment feel a little less fun. Like Citibank doesn't market these things as the death pledge. Great deals on the death pledge. Never a better time for a death pledge. Lowest rates ever on the death pledge. <laughs> and the apartment building is very old. It's like a 120-year-old building that has leaks and holes and rats and mold and all this stuff we don't know anything about. So we've been renovating it for, for like two and a half years. And I feel like I'm only going to live until I'm like 60. So I feel like I'm building my own coffin <laughs> slowly. Yeah. And that's that's a little bit in the same universe as the first Man. joke. It's almost like you probably find this with jokes. It's almost like sometimes you go into you 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 have like you have two jokes there, right? You have the joke about the death pledge and then you have the building my own coffin slowly and you go like, "Oh, death pledge is funnier." You get the bigger laugh there. And then you're like, "The building my own coffin slowly is pretty funny." But it's not as big of a laugh. And you're like, well, maybe when, when we get back on stage, I'll try to flip-flop those so that one yes. builds up to, up to the next yes. one. When you're doing a one-hour show, you can kind of get away with a tag that means more to you. than, yes. than you know. So you, you say it because that, that's a beautiful way to end it, right? It's like a structural. Yes. Even in that short little bit, I mean, I, ultimately, I have no idea how it'll fit into the bigger show. But in structurally... As a story, that makes sense to kind of use it as a tag to go on to the next point. The whole show is actually, this is this new show I'm writing. It's called The YMCA Pool. It's about how in, in middle age, I'm returning to swim at the YMCA like pool, which I never <laughs> wanted to. Yeah, which I went as a child. I swore I would never return. Yeah, yeah. And here I am in the YMCA pool. And it's sort of a metaphor for life and how we sure. sort of realize our limitations and our, my limitations and right now are the YMCA pool. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, uh, and, and in some ways, the apartment, buying an apartment after all these years is sort of a, a metaphor for that also. Right. Uh, I think that's a bit about um, maybe... Uh, refinance, refinancing the death pledge, you know, that could be a... <laughs> yes, uh, yes. Yeah. Um, that's pretty funny to look at the death, death pledge interest rates. Um, yeah, what the cash out refinancing yeah, would look yeah. like on the <laughs> yeah, death yeah. pledge. Yeah, and this guy's got a cheaper death pledge, so we're going to go with him. And, and then I got, um, I got, so we move into this new apartment and it's me and my wife's bedroom and then there's our daughter's bedroom. She's five. And, uh, and my wife and daughter sleep in my daughter's bedroom because sometimes parents sleep with their kids and the other parent is like, okay, and then doesn't say anything about it because uh, what are you going to say? Hey, don't do that. You're showing her too much love. <laughs> so that's what it is. And so at a certain point, the building developed a mold and mildew problem in the basement that's seeping through the floor into our daughter's bedroom. And it made Jen cough because she's allergic to mildew. Uh, so we swapped bedrooms and now I sleep in my daughter's bed alone because I don't mind the smell of mildew because I grew up in Massachusetts and the whole state smells like mildew. And so now I'm the hero of our home because I don't mind the smell of mildew. My, literally, my wife and daughter call me Mildew Man. <laughs> and Mildew Man's superpowers include uh, not minding the smell of mildew and, and, and that's it. And so if there's ever a citywide crisis, 
uh, Superman will show up and blow out all of the fires in the buildings with his super breath, and Batman will fly on top of a subway and make sure it doesn't fly off the tracks, and Mildew Man will not mind the smell of mildew. <laughs> and that's, that's all I have on that. Uh, very touching. Um. <laughs> very touching. I'm trying to work on this bit about how, um, like, the conspiracy theorists are always trying to, like, solve a puzzle like the Da Vinci Code. And they're just never... <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, everything to them is, like, this, this, like, escape room that they're trying to escape from. They're constantly trying to, like, connect the dots and, like... Yes. Uh, like, um, solve something. Like, they're trying to solve this puzzle. And the worst part about it is that they... They're just... You can see that they're they're not even going in the name of truth. They're just like ultimate contrarians. Because yes. one of the one of the themes of this pandemic is that like, um, you know, the government is just trying to trick everyone to stay at home. It's not real. Yep. Because everyone's reporting on it. They must be lying. It's, it's not real. Yes. This pandemic isn't real. And then you go like, well, what if the reverse happened? What if the government actually did that? What if the government actually was like, <laughs> right. you know what? The pandemic isn't real. Don't worry about it. It's actually fake. You know, we can handle it. Don't worry. And then, like, you know, these the, the same conspiracy theorists will be in the hospitals videoing people dying of it and going like, the government isn't telling you about this. This isn't a normal oh flu. This is a, you know, people are dying from this. They're, they're trying to kill off. And then there'll be some conspiracy about how the rich people are trying to kill off the poor people. They're not letting oh us, they're not letting us know about this pandemic because they want us all to die. You know what I mean? And <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Maybe going into the hospital, people dying part is a bit morbid for the joke. But, but the, the point of the bit is like, like they would be, these conspiracy theorists would be, you know, conspiring either way. Yes. I mean, the conspiracy theories in America are just straight up racist. I mean, they're just... <laughs> I mean, they're like just straight up racist. And and then the president like fans the flame of the racism. And it's... It, I have to say, it just feels so fucking upside down. Yeah. To a point where like you just... I, I You throw up your hands. You go, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Because I was gonna, I was gonna build on that and maybe like, maybe like, there's a bit about like what's weird about having the president be a conspiracy theorist is that you're kind of like, hey man, the conspiracies <laughs> were supposed to be about you. <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> Stay in your lane. <laughs> if yeah, it was supposed to be about you. If you are also like trying to figure out the conspiracies like <laughs> if you can't figure it out <laughs> if you with the federal government you have area yes. 51 and you you know yes you can't figure the out deep state yeah you have the deep state yeah you get that's get you. your shit together with the deep state yeah. you call them <laughs> So the, this is a continuation of Mildew Man. So the other night, Mildew Man is sleeping in his daughter's bed, but not in a creepy way. And I hear uh, scratching in the wall next to my head. This is completely true. And it was loud scratching. Like, it was like, I was, like, scared. And I thought, like, I think there might be a person in the wall. And I say, <laughs> I literally, I swear to God, I was alone. I go, Hello? 
<laughs> to the to the wall. <laughs> and then I realized it's probably not a person. It's probably a rat. So I say, hello, rat? <laughs> and then I realize the rat doesn't speak English. So I say, hola, rat? And then I realize it doesn't speak Spanish. So I say, ciao, rat? And then it occurs to me, this rat might not speak any human language. And so I go, <laughs> and the rat goes, <laughs> and since I speak rat, I knew that the rat was saying, uh, hey, Mike, I really enjoy living in your wall. So before you go to bed, can you leave out some of those dried apricots on the floor upstairs? I don't mind climbing up the walls to get them on the counter, but it would save me a hike. <laughs> so now we have mold and mildew and rats, but fortunately, we own it. So, so, so we own the rats. We don't rent the rats. We own the mold. We don't rent the mold. And that's really what being an adult is all about. It's owning a piece of this hell we call Earth. <laughs> and that's the end. It might be too dark at the end. No, no. It's good. It's very— Honestly, when I, wrote, when I wrote the beginning of it, I, I think it was before all this went down. And now uh, <laughs> the, hell, the hell that we call Earth <laughs> feels a little too close to home. Yeah. Right, uh, the, the rats, the thing. Um, something about maybe they don't. I mean, you you mentioned it, but they don't. They're not paying rent. Oh right, yeah, they yes. don't pay rent. Or maybe they are paying rent oh, to yeah. somebody we don't know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they're not contributing to the mortgage. Maybe they have a mortgage. You know, maybe where there are rats. <laughs> yes, yeah, they have. Right, yeah. or maybe they own the inside of the wall. Yeah, yeah, only inside of the wall. Uh. <laughs> Do you have you ever had a rat? No, man, rat, you know, I've been lucky. Um, every country I've lived in has been rat-free until New York City. It's the first time mm. I saw, I, first time I saw a, a mouse in my house was New York City. So that was, yeah. it brought, New York has a lot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how they're all doing, um, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. in this turbulent time. Uh Someone did a study that the, the the uptown rats are genetically different to the downtown rats. So there's that. Is that true? Yeah, Is yeah, that real? Yeah, they did a just a genetic study that. That, and then my my brother Joe was pointing out the the, the pizza rat is very famous. Pizza rat is in, very famous. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I just saw a video of uh, which speaks to 2020 of a seagull eating a rat. So that's oh my gosh no yeah so that's that's where it's come you know that's the evolution of pizza rat is I feel like that's one of the strangest things about being a comedian in modern times is that we're competing against videos of a seagull <laughs> eating a rat yeah it's hard to compete I mean I saw a video of uh, and this is BBC Planet Earth two so it's high quality it's a fish eating a bird out of <laughs> and, and this, these fish eat birds on the regular. Like, they've evolved to no. eat birds. It's not one no. time. Like, the seagull no. eating the rat is like, you know, one-off. This guy's been trying something new. Like, maybe he's, <laughs> yeah, he's sick of fries. He wanted to go something else. you got to be kidding me. But this fish eating the bird, just Google fish eating a bird. And when I saw this video of this fish leaping like an Olympic athlete, out of the water and eating a bird, I was like, oh my gosh. wow, you can't, no. yeah, you can't compete with 
<laughs> my my five minute bit that takes uh you know three minutes to set up uh is not gonna. <laughs> but you should do that as a you should do that as a bit because I think that yeah just literally talking about that as a setup is phenomenal. Yeah, the fish just eating a the bird setup because to me that is like the perfect the, the that is the perfect metaphor for climate change. <laughs> <laughs> The fish eating a bird, yeah. <laughs> the fish are eating the goddamn <laughs> birds. I mean, when are people going to start believing yeah. in climate change? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the the way to tie it into comedy for me, because I've been ruminating about this bit as well, is about how some people don't know that, like, different types of comedy. Like, they, because like what you said, we've kind of been growing up in, like, meme comedy. Yes. So people... Yes who have never seen stand-up comedy before, or at least have never seen a show live, they look at this meme on their phone which they spent one yes. second scrolling past and they laugh at that. And it's legitimately funny. And then they watch yeah. a stand-up clip and they're like, what the fuck is this thing? No, I know. This guy talking for three minutes isn't anywhere as funny as this meme of this, you know, this one image meme of this guy. This this meme made me laugh way more. Therefore, all comedians suck. <laughs> but, but 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 I will but I will bring me full circle and we can end on this to how good your Netflix special is. <laughs> I have watched it twice. Thank you so much. And it is just joke after joke after joke and it feels so authentic and human and relatable and you're just crushing. Oh, thanks so much, man. So I put that head to head with <laughs> fish eating a bird <laughs> any day of the week, Ronnie. Thank you so much. Uh, we, you know, uh, uh, coming from you, that's a, a huge honor. Thank you so much for watching so many times and l liking it. And we'll cut that part out where you compliment me back. <laughs> This is a section of the show that we call Working It Out for a Cause. Is there any uh, organization or, or, or site or anything that you think is doing a particularly good job right now? I've been trying to pick a charity and there's so many people in need now. It's kind of, it was actually Oh, I know. No, no, it's it's un, it's an unwieldy ask yeah. to try to narrow it down right now. So all we can do is say support yeah. all of your local nonprofits and the people doing great work out there. Yeah. But but maybe today we'll just shine a light on one specific one. Sure, yeah. Um if you know, today I really appreciate if you guys could check out Trump's re-election campaign and maybe consider oh my God. <laughs> giving a few bucks to that. Um, uh, so, so there's this there's these guys. Uh, <laughs> there's these guys. Uh, welcome to Chinatown.com, and they're kind of based in New York City, Chinatown. And over the last winter, I had a chance to film this short film in Chinatown. Pure love of the game, wasn't for money. I got to meet a lot of the Chinatown people and get to, you know, I go to, I would go to Chinatown to eat almost every week. And um, even then, for the last five years, I've been going. But even then, I got to see parts of Chinatown making this movie that I haven't seen before. You know, there was all these cool wow. restaurants and these figures who've, these um, community leaders and uh, people who've been there since they were children, you know. Um, and they're very much a part of the fabric of New York City, you know, and these, uh, including these authentic shops. And yeah. part of the joy for me in New York City was the small businesses. You know, the small businesses yes. was what makes That's New York right. fun. It's not the chains. Absolutely. We're not, yep. we're not going to, you know, 
Applebee's. We're going to freaking. We're not there for Chevy's. Yeah, <laughs> we're there for we're there for the cool kind of authentic New York spots, you know. And I feel yeah. I can't help but feel like the small businesses are probably the hardest hit in all this because they've got high overheads right. and and so uh, anyway. Welcome to Chinatown dot com is a charity that these people set up, and it seems pretty legit. Um, I'm willing to say that. And they they at first they were kind of. This looks of, awesome. I'm actually I'm on, I'm looking at it on my phone. This is fast. This is really fascinating yeah. site. I mean, it's a, it's, it's expl- you know it, it shows you different restaurants. Yeah. Uh, so they started off kind of um, uh, as a charity to um, buy food from Chinese restaurants which are struggling and give it to frontline workers. So you know it was very logical, oh, wow. very very little waste in that exchange. I think you know money going directly to businesses yep. and helping people who need food. So you know that's uh, great. Uh, and then they've I, I think they've kind of pivoted now to um, small business grants. So they're trying to give out grants to people. So I think they're a worthy cause. You know, if you like the fabric of New York City and Chinatown and, you know, these people, I I don't think I need to explain why, you know, the the troubles they've been facing both in terms of business and in terms of racial prejudices lately. So yeah, um, certainly. yeah, Yeah, if you guys could put a few bucks there that would be cool um, or even just go just go and you know buy food from them you know if you if, sure. you, if you don't want to donate you know they, absolutely the, the point of this is to keep all these businesses going I think that's right that's right um, it's welcome to Chinatown.com and uh, Ronnie Chang it is an honor to have you on working it out and I feel like we have some new good bits I think so I feel like it <laughs> <laughs> I like yours I, 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 I love yours so. we'll do it again then we'll do it again please yeah Working it out, cause it's not done. Working it out, cause there's no one. That's gonna do it for another episode of Working It Out. That's Ronnie Chang. Holy cow! Ronnie is so funny. He's got great new bits. You should watch that special of his on Netflix. It is so funny. It is great for an hour of laughs. Our producers of Working It Out are Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia, consulting producer Seth Barish, sound mix by Kate Belinsky, assistant editor Mabel Lewis, thanks to my consigliere Mike Berkowitz, as well as Marissa Hurwitz. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff for our music. As always, a very special thanks to my wife, Jay Hope Stein. Our book, which is called The New One, that has her poems, and my comedy in it is curbside at your local bookseller. We're doing some local bookstore events called Jokes and Poems at McNally Jackson in New York. Books are Magic in Brooklyn, Powell's in Portland, and Greenlight in Brooklyn. All of that is on Burbigs.com. I'm also doing a virtual stand-up comedy event. It is a working it out live virtual event. It's on Tuesday. It's sold out. We kept a limited amount so it can be like an interactive, intimate, interactive thing. I'm, I'm going to announce a few more of them soon. You're the only people who know. The only way you can find out is signing up on my mailing list at burbigs.com. As always, a special thanks to my daughter, Una, who is five years old and created a radio fort. And my thanks to Sam Adams, who's presenting the Restaurant Strong Fund, supporting restaurant workers. You can join them at samueladams.com. Thanks to you, most of all, for listening. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. We're working it out!